You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Martin Luther's King. Part of doing church, not the way we do it, but the way I believe the New Testament said to do it, is that it is about having church for all. Now, I don't think you compromise on any sins. That's not the point. But it is about people, Jew, Greek, pagan, religious, anybody, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, rich, poor, we ought to all gather around what? Jesus. Now, there are some challenges to that, and I'm going to spend a little time, maybe an unusual amount of time today, going through some of these things. We're going to talk about Martin Luther King, we're going to talk about Martin Luther, and we're going to talk about Martin Luther's King. And I'm going to begin today with Martin Luther King. Obviously, if you've been in America any period of time, unless you're really young, you know he's a charismatic civil rights leader and Baptist minister who campaigned against the segregation of blacks. He was Gandhian in his pacifism, but his basic principles, he used the methods of Gandhi, but the principles of the Bible, he would tell you that himself and said as much. Involved in all kind of boycotts, Montgomery bus boycott, at 26, with little more than a year's experience as a pastor of Montgomery's Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, he was uncertain about his future, but he quickly sensed that he had become part of a historic movement. At an evening mass rally on the initial day of the boycott, he conveyed the deeper significance of the day's unfolding events. Right here in Montgomery, when the history books are written in the future, somebody will have to say there lived a race of people, a black people, fleecy locks and black complexion, but a people who had the moral courage to stand up for their rights, and thereby they injected a new meaning into the veins of history and civilization." King reached bottom on January 27th of that next year when a particular threatening late-night telephone call brought him to, quote-unquote, the saturation point. He went to his kitchen and sat before an untouched cup of coffee, exhausted his courage, all but gone, as he considered ways to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. He began to pray aloud at that moment, quote, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. When his home was bombed at the end of January, he had cited Jesus, quote, he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword, rather than Gandhi in urging angry black neighbors to remain nonviolent. His Christian convictions converged with his increasingly sophisticated understanding of Gandhian ideas. He would explain to a reporter that, quote, the spirit of passive resistance came to me from the Bible, from the teachings of Jesus. The techniques came from Gandhi. I'm going to take a minute here and read you some excerpts from a sermon, Paul's Letter to American Christians. This was preached at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Montgomery, Alabama on November 4th, 1956. And I'm going to read you a few paragraphs in not any particular order here. But American Christians, I must say to you, as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, obviously he's taking the tact that if Paul were going to write a letter like he did to Ephesus or Philippi, what would he say to Americans in the 50s? But American Christians, I must say to you as I said to the Roman Christians years ago, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or as I said to the Philippian Christians, you are a colony of heaven. 
This means that although you live in the colony of time, your ultimate allegiance is to the empire of eternity. You have a dual citizenry. You live both in time and eternity, both in heaven and earth. Therefore, your ultimate allegiance is not to the government, not to the state, not to nation, not to any man-made institution. The Christian owes his ultimate allegiance to God, and if any earthly institution conflicts with God's will, it is your Christian duty to take a stand against it. You must never allow the transitory, evanescent demands of man-made institutions to take precedence over the eternal demands of the Almighty God. There is another thing that disturbs me to no end about the American church. Now listen to this. In 1956, this is what a black preacher in a black church is saying. There is another thing that disturbs me to no end about the American church. You have a white church and you have a Negro church. You have allowed segregation to creep into the doors of the church. How can such a division exist in the true body of Christ? You must face the tragic fact that when you stand at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning to sing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, and Dear Lord and Father of All Mankind, you stand in the most segregated hour of Christian America. They tell me that there is more integration in the entertaining world and other secular agencies than there is in the Christian church. How appalling that is. Now that's a black man half a century ago, and I believe that's Jesus 2,000 years ago. People every once in a while will say to me, wow, this is an interesting new paradigm. You're trying to put Hispanics and blacks and whites and Asians and rich and poor. Interesting new paradigm. And I say, you know what? The interesting new paradigm is your big old white church out there in the suburbs. It's your big old black church out there. It's your poor church. It's your rich church. It's your Asian church. You say, but we got language problems. You know what? We get over those problems at work and everywhere else on the planet. Why can't we lead the way at church? You say, well, I believe we're supposed to worship with our own kind. Exactly. That's called Christian. That's your own kind. He goes on to say, many persons will realize the urgency of seeking to eradicate the evil of segregation. There will be many Negroes who will devote their lives to the cause of freedom. There will be many white persons of goodwill and strong moral sensitivity who will dare to take a stand for justice. Honesty impels me to admit that such a stand will require willingness to suffer and sacrifice. So don't despair if you are condemned and persecuted for righteousness sake. Whenever you take a stand for truth and justice, you are liable to scorn. Often you will be called an impractical idealist or a dangerous radical. Martin Luther King returned to Memphis for the last time in April, addressing an audience at Bishop Charles H. Mason Temple on April the 3rd. He sought to revive his flagging movement by acknowledging, quote, we've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. The following evening, King was assassinated as he stood on a balcony of the Lorraine Hotel in Memphis. A white segregationist, James Earl Ray, is later convicted of the crime. In that same sermon, let me go back and read you this, and we'll go to look at Martin Luther for a minute. But I must not stop with a criticism of Protestantism. I am disturbed about Roman Catholicism. This church stands before the world with its pomp and power, insisting that it possesses the only truth. It incorporates an arrogance that becomes a dangerous spiritual arrogance. It stands with its noble pope, who somehow rises to the miraculous heights of infallibility when he speaks ex cathedra, that means from the chair. But I am disturbed about a person 
person or an institution that claims infallibility in this world. I am disturbed about any church that refuses to cooperate with other churches under the pretense that it is the only true church. I must emphasize the fact that God is not a Roman Catholic and that the boundless sweep of his revelation cannot be limited to the Vatican. Roman Catholicism must do a great deal to mend its ways. 1950s, going after the Pope. Martin Luther, German theologian, led the Reformation, believed that salvation is granted on the basis of faith rather than deeds. He was an Augustinian monk whose teachings inspired the Protestant Reformation and deeply influenced doctrines of Protestant and other Christian traditions. His call to the church to return to the teaching of the Bible resulted in the formation of new traditions within Christianity and the counter-reformation in the Roman Catholic Church culminating at the Council of Trent. Luther made contributions in the fields beyond religion. His translation of the Bible helped to develop a standard version of the German language and added several principles to the art of translation. Luther's hymns sparked the development of congregational singing in Christianity. We could get together and sing these songs, these hymns. A lot of that can be traced to Martin Luther. His marriage on June 13, 1525 to Katharina von Bora began the tradition of clerical marriage. Thank God for Martin Luther. And yeah, it's a personal note there. The demands of study for academic degrees and preparation for delivering lectures drove Martin Luther to study the scriptures in depth. Heeding the call of humanism ad fontes to the source, he immersed himself in the teachings of the scripture and the early church. Luther recounted that his great breakthrough came in 1513 as he was lecturing on the Psalms at Wittenberg. He realized that the phrase, quote unquote, righteousness of God in Romans 1.17 did not mean active righteousness, that by which humans are judged righteous by God on the basis of their works, but passive righteousness by which humans receive righteousness from God who makes sinners just. Terms like penance and righteousness took on new meaning. Soon Luther's study of the Bible convinced him that the church, meaning the Catholic church, had lost sight of several central truths. To Luther, the most important of these was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. With joy, Luther now believed and taught that salvation is a gift of God's grace received by faith and trust in God's promise to forgive sins for the sake of Christ's death on the cross. You think, well, that's no brainer. Let me tell you something, then and now, there are people who believe if I'm just good enough, that righteousness is attained by me being righteous, by my being good enough, by my doing something. And if I do enough, then God's going to look at me and love me because of what I have done, not because of what he has done. You will never be saved by your own works. It will never be enough. This righteousness is imputed. It is given. It is put upon us by God, placed upon us as a gift, not by anything that we could do. Luther's first break with the papal hierarchy came in 1517 over the selling of indulgences. Luther hated this practice since he believed that indulgences did nothing to save souls and only line the pockets of the clergy. Now, this isn't about bashing Catholicism. I read you something that Martin Luther King said about Catholicism. I read you something that Martin Luther obviously said a lot about Catholicism and the error of it. You know what? You can bash any group. You can go after any group. The point is, let's go after what Scripture says, and whether you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, or nothing, find out what Scripture says. Don't take some man's word for it. 
And one of the things that Martin Luther encouraged was that people would go back to the scriptures and he helped in the printing process, even getting copies of the Bible and of his books and things out there where people could read for themselves and discover these truths and not rely on someone just speaking something and saying, well, that must be it. You are responsible for what's in this book. Meanwhile, Luther took part in an Augustinian convention at Heidelberg where he presented theses on the slavery of man to sin and on divine grace. In the course of the controversy on indulgences, the question arose of the absolute power of the Pope since the doctrine of the, quote, treasure of the church was based on a bull of Clement VI. Luther saw himself branded as a heretic, and the Pope, who had determined to suppress his views, summoned him to Rome. Eventually, Martin Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. Now let me talk to you a minute about Martin Luther's king. Matthew 21, if you want to look at these with me, I'm going to go through the first ones pretty fast, and then we'll spend some time on a couple more. In Matthew 21, 1 through 5, Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He is described, he is depicted as a king. In Matthew 27, 29, When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews, making fun of him. But that's who he was, that's who he is. In Matthew 27, 37, and they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. In John 12, 13, they took branches. If you recall, when he was going into the city, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They declared him as king, and within a week later, they mocked him as king. And even in the book of Revelation in chapter 19, 14 through 16, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The thing that makes Martin Luther king, the things that makes Martin Luther so effective is that they both had the same king. Martin Luther's king was Jesus Christ himself, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus of all people, you want a social activist, you want a spiritual revolutionary, he's the man. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew five thirty-eight and following. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, Old Testament. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. All this stuff is no-brainer. It's an eye for an eye, two for a tooth. He says no. Do not resist an evil person. So you take this and a Martin Luther King and resisting with passive means and people say, but you can't do that. And you say, well, how do you apply that to Iraq and these wars? 
These guys felt led to bring about change by turning the other cheek, by sticking to the truth. And something happens when you do that. I'm not saying it's the only way and people have tried other ways, but this is what Jesus said. And it goes beyond just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But if someone comes along and says, I'm taking your tunic, say, well, here, here's my cloak too. You go the extra mile, literally in the Roman world, if a soldier was coming along with his pack and you were coming the other way, that soldier could look at you and say, by law, carry my pack. So if you had come from the other direction and he stopped you, you had to turn around and go a mile in the other direction, by law, carrying his pack. And Jesus says, when that happens, don't just carry it a mile. When you get to the mile marker and they had those, stop and say, hey, you know what? I'll take it another mile for you. Now you've gone one, two, three, four miles out of your way for what? To be a servant, to make a statement, to take a stand and say, you know what? You think you're going to make me do what you can make me do, but I can go beyond that. You strike me on one cheek, I'll turn the other. I'm not going to engage in this craziness. I'm going to show you there's a difference in me. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You know what? That is just the most no-brainer thing on the planet, isn't it? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, we're all gifted at that. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Big whoop! Well, so-and-so loves me, I love them, and... And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He is calling us to live a different way toward each other. And the world watches us and says, they don't say anything. They just say, well, you know what? They got that little thing they call church, and they all huddle up because they all got the same kind of car and the same number of kids, and they put on a nice show, and they attract a crowd, and they go to lunch, and they find their husbands and wives that way and let them do their thing. But I'm not hooking up with that because you don't need God for that. You know why people come into a place where it's rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everybody together? Because they walk in and go, what the heck is going on? Nobody can do this without God. The government can enforce it. In schools, you can try it. But that is imposed. This is supernatural. This ought to be something that comes out of our hearts and we look around and genuinely love each other. Go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, 31 and following, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate one from another as a sheep divides his sheep from the goats. Now look what it says there. All the nations will be gathered before him. He ain't going to go country by country. It's everybody who ever lived. He gets them in front of him and then he starts to separate the sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? 
Or when did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. It's not just being a do-gooder. It's doing it in Jesus' name. It is doing it literally as though you're doing it to Jesus. Verse 41, Matthew 25, Then he will also say to those on the left hand, the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, say, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now let's go back to the very beginning. Who are the righteous? Martin Luther discovered that the righteous were not righteous because of these things they did. They were righteous because righteousness had been imputed to them. But as we're studying in James, faith without works is dead. So if you say, Lord, Lord, I'm a Christian and all that, your life is going to be different. And if it's not, something's wrong. Go to John chapter 13. This may end up being one of the life verses of all time for me. Because I can't shake John chapter 13. And you're going to hear this if you hang around here over and over and over. There are ten commandments in the Old Testament, and out of nowhere Jesus says one of the most extraordinary things you're ever going to read in the New Testament. A new commandment I give you. Number 11. Is everybody listening? Number 11, Jesus says. I'm going to add a commandment. A new one. And the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also loved one another. How did he love them? He was patient with them. He was willing to die for them, lay his life down ultimately for them. He watched them. He prayed for them. He stuck with them. He helped them grow and process. And when they denied him three times, he took them back and didn't throw them away. The reason it's so important to love each other this way is in verse 35. By this, the way you love each other, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It is not enough to say, oh God, I love you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and taking me in and that I'm going to be in heaven in a special place just for white people like me. And we may get together sometime in eternity with those poor black people or rich black people or all these other people. But thank you, God, for saving me. And he says, that all sounds great. Do you love each other? Nobody's going to know you're my child, that you're my follower, until you love each other. And you can pray and say all you want to. The way the world's going to know it is they walk into these gatherings and watch us as a church and say, something is up here. These people can't do this without God. Now, it's going to be uncomfortable. Martin Luther crossed some lines to get where he went. He got excommunicated from a church he was born into, but he chose truth over tradition. Martin Luther King got himself killed, assassinated as a basically young man for believing something. His own mother was shot playing the organ years after he died. He said, well, it sounds really expensive. It'll cost you your life. 
Before Richard comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, richardellistalks.com. You'll find today's talk right there in the talks page, along with all of Richard's messages. You can even forward them to a friend so they can hear them too. You'll also find the prayer wall to add your prayer requests, a link to connect with us, the contribute page for you to be able to give to this ministry, a radio station finder, all our social media links, and much more. So check it out, richardellistalks.com. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Let me read you one other one, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Talk about a radical Paul himself. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That's the verse that changed Martin Luther's life right there. For in it the righteousness of God, it is not my righteousness, it is God's righteousness imputed to me. Let me tell you something, I'm no better than anybody else on the planet. I am a man who was born a sinner, who got saved by the grace of God. And as much as I do it, you find the least of these. You say, well, this is the least of these. And find yourself loving and doing and serving the least of these, and you found Jesus. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.